Not to make this about me, but I've done something unintentionally at least twice, maybe three times so far and well disguised. That is, I've set up a premise, usually in this episode introduction section, and then tweaked it a bit right after the music. I'm not going to do that this time. Here's how. It is conventional wisdom that the Rolling Stones had arguably the greatest four-album run any band has ever had from 1968 to 1972, starting with Beggar's Banquet, which was really only a prelude to the legendary albums that would follow in Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, and the indomitable double album masterpiece Exile on Main Street. The Stones set the standard by which all rock bands would be judged from that point forward. Sure, you may prefer another set of four or more records. You might point to one of Zeppelin's runs, or Metallica's start, or the first four or five or six Sabbath records. Heck, I'll probably follow some idiot on Twitter who thinks Faster Pussycat had a better four-album run than The Stones. And speaking of, that is at well underscore disguised. Give me a follow and keep up with me there. But whether it's the best run, or even if I think it is or isn't, isn't the point. The point is, The Stones set the standard. Led Zeppelin II to physical graffiti, even if some of that timeline is overlapping in terms of releases, is still a Stones-esque run of records. So, that's a premise, I suppose, and here's where I would undercut it slightly. In 1973, The Stones released Goat's Head Soup, which recently received a deluxe reissue treatment, and I think it's tremendous. Goat's Head Soup succeeded Exile on Main Street, and music critics may tend to disagree, but for my money, it's better than Beggar's Banquet, even if it is maybe less than the other three. But Goat's Head Soup contains the gorgeous ballad and Stones classic, Angie. And then it's complemented by other Stones classics, like Dancing with Mr. D, Heartbreaker, Can You Hear the Music, songs like 100 Years Ago and Silver Train, Certainly Don't Embarrass Themselves and Belong on the Record. And then there's the album Closer, one of my favorite Rolling Stones songs, the bitter, defiant, nasty Star Star. However, Goathead Soup's successor, It's Only Rock and Roll, is a different matter. This episode should release just eight days short of It's Only Rock and Roll's 46th anniversary. But regardless of whether you agree with my minority opinion on Goathead Soup, Almost everyone sees its only rock and roll as evidence of the Stones' decline. Drugs were now seriously impacting the band, and those in the know believed that rot had set in. Legendary rock critic Lester Bangs said that the album was, quote, false, numb. Let's be clear from the outset. Its only rock and roll is not the equal of Sticky Fingers. But its only rock and roll is still in many ways an important Stones record, an interesting turning point for the band, and maybe deserves better than how it's remembered. My name is John Pritchard, and I'm your host. And this album's title really could have been the name of this podcast. But here we are, 10 episodes in, and it's pastime, the world's greatest rock and roll band featured on Well Disguised.
Punk's rise in the 1970s had many contributors, many causations. There were the political and economic reasons, certainly. Musically, for sure, punk was a reaction to the pompousness of Pink Floyd. Led Zeppelin's musicosity was a source, too. Jimmy Page playing 20-minute guitar solos or longer probably didn't help. Punk was also anti-glamour of acts like Elton John and Queen. But if it was anti-anything musically, surely it was the fey, prancing, greatest band in the world fronting Mick Jagger. It's probably no coincidence that punk exploded after the release of its only rock and roll. And yes, that album cover, depicting the band fashionably dressed in suits, descending the steps of what appears to be a temple, fetid by dozens of nymphs or handmaidens or what have you. The punks must have looked at and listened to its only rock and roll and hated it. Alright. As I said in the beginning, its only rock and roll is an important Stones record in a historic sense, if perhaps not a sonic one. If it was after the Golden Age, it should maybe be noted that era coincided with the tenure of Mick Taylor, who would replace founding member Brian Jones on guitar. It's only rock and roll would be the final Stones album with Mick Taylor. Now sure, the Stones had good records to come with Ronnie Wood, especially the magnificent record Some Girls. But the Taylor era was magic. Taylor apparently left the Stones for several reasons, including that it seems Keith Richards never liked him that much, and the Stones' decision not to tour its only rock and roll immediately after its release, but instead to go back in the studio. However, there's at least one other reason for Taylor's departure. Every song on the record is credited to Jagger Richards, except for the Temptations cover, Ain't Too Proud to Beg. Taylor disputed this and believed this wasn't the first Stones record for which he was unfairly denied songwriting credits, and, more importantly, the ensuing royalties. To the extent that this was a contributing, if not leading, factor in Taylor's departure, it's doubly ironic that it happened after its only rock and roll. In his book, Old God's Almost Dead, author Stephen Davis recounts a story where Keith Richards met Ronnie Wood's wife out one evening at some sort of social event. It may have just been a night at a local bar or pub, I don't know. Anyway, Chrissy Wood, Ronnie's wife, invited Keith back to her home, and Keith thought things were going swimmingly. Imagine, then, his disappointment when Chrissy Wood offered to show him downstairs to meet her husband, Ronnie. Somewhat disappointed... Keith agreed to go down, and there was Ronnie Wood working on a song with Mick Jagger. Now, this was awkward and depressing for Keith, for perhaps the obvious reason, but also because rumors abounded that if Keith's heroin addiction got the best of him, Ronnie Wood was on the very short list of potential replacements for him in the band. And the song that Jagger and Wood were working on? You guessed it. It's only rock and roll. Like Mick Taylor... Ronnie Wood would not receive a songwriting credit for it either, and would have to settle for just an acknowledgement on the album sleeve. Two other things. It's Only Rock and Roll is the first album where the Glimmer Twins, Mick and Keith, are credited as the producers. Working without usual, long-term producer Jimmy Miller, never again would a Stones record not cite Mick and Keith as at least co-producers. Also, The mythology of Keith Richards as the elegantly wasted junkie maybe didn't begin here, but health-wise, this was during the nadir for Keith. This was from the area where Mick carried the stones, and his influence was at its peak. 
Keith, of course, is not entirely absent. He co-writes several of the songs. He plays on most of them. His contributions at times are obvious. But still, this is a Mick record. All right, all right, enough backstory. Let's talk about the music. The first song on the album is If You Can't Rock Me. Now, if this were from the 80s, you might think this was by Mick, aimed at Keith, or vice versa. But instead, this is just a song, I think, uh, aimed at a woman, not the Stones speaking at each other through their lyrics. It's a driving, funky number. Jagger sounds great on this tune, almost disgusted and spitting out the lyrics. The next song is Ain't Too Proud to Beg. Again, this is the Temptations cover. It's good. It's a little strange, I think, is the second track on the album to drop the cover that quickly. But it's certainly a great song. It was a great song for the Temptations. And the Stones do it well. Next comes the title track. Now, it's only rock and roll. The song is awesome. It is still a live warhorse in the Rolling Stones sets. It's aimed at critics, but it has that Stones raunch in it anyway. The lyric... Would it be enough for your teenage lust? And also, I bet you think that you're the only woman in town. Uh, He doesn't use the word woman when he sings it live, usually. One of my favorite Stone's theories, and it's probably apocryphal, um, if, if it's a story and not a theory, is that Keith Richards always wanted horns in the band. Didn't like the fact that there weren't trumpets or saxophones in the band. And that's why his guitar is often tuned to sound like a horn. Now, I'm not sure if there's any truth to it, but you can't listen to the Rolling Stones and deny that it's plausible. And that brassy kind of guitar sound is all over It's Only Rock and Roll. It's on a lot of Stone songs, but it's really on this track, and it sounds great. The fourth song on the album is Till the Next Goodbye. It's a ballad. And there are theories out there that Mick turned the Stones into more of a ballad band without Keith. I'm not sure I buy that. Certainly there are more ballads in this period of the Rolling Stones. But even this song is not really 100% romantic. It's more bittersweet, but it's really nice. As an example of that bittersweet kind of Mick Jagger darkness, there's a lyric, Some cedar vinegar and some elderberry wine may cure all your ills, but it can't cure mine. The fifth song on the record is Time Waits for No One. Mick says, Time can tear down a building or destroy a woman's face. Given the way that they aged, I suppose that line certainly is ironic. But Mick, Keith, and the Stones have accepted age without crazy plastic surgery. I actually like and respect that. I'm not crazy about this song, but it has a really pretty outro solo by Mick Taylor. This song kind of reminds you of Can't You Hear Me Knockin', in that you get to the part where you expect to hear the solo and then coming back to the chorus, but there is no chorus that comes back. There's not another verse. It just doesn't end. It goes on in this musical outro that's really pretty. I'll tell you what it kind of reminds me of is like a live jam, except that it's on record. Speaking of records, if this were a traditional album... You would then turn it over at this point and begin listening to Side 2. And the first song on Side 2, the sixth song overall, is Luxury. Now this is a reggae-influenced stone song, a first for the band, but certainly would not be the last time that reggae played a part. 
I don't want to do a poor imitation of Mick Jagger, but you can hear that reggae Jamaican influence when Mick sings, working for the company, keep you in the luxury. I don't know. I'm sorry. But on record, the Jamaican accent is much more obvious that Mick is putting on than what I'm able to do here. Keith, of course, would come to live in Jamaica, living with the Rastas and their long spliffs. Mick, too, would support reggae music, particularly in his sponsorship of musicians like Pete Tosh. But he gives it a typical insincerity that is common. For example, Keith Richards loved country music, or at least he likes it a lot. But whenever the Stones did country, whether it's honky-tonk women or dead flowers or what have you, Mick always sounds like it's a joke. Like he's putting on this affect and he's willing to do it, but don't take me too seriously. Like he's playing a part when he puts on that southern voice. Mick's doing the same thing with this reggae number. It's not a high point on the record. There are some war whoops in there from Mick that really sound almost like Steven Tyler copied them exactly for the title track from Permanent Vacation. I noticed that when listening to this again for the podcast. The next track is Dance Little Sister. It's a little funky number. Nothing special, though. It's probably the worst song on the album, but it really does have a good bass thump. Song 8 is If You Really Want to Be My Friend. The very first lyric from Mick. If you really want to be my friend, let me live it up like I used to do. (laughs) I know he probably means this as a sweet song, but you kind of almost have to admire how Mick is open about being a manipulator. His ex-wife, Jerry Hall, once said that Mick Jagger is a wonderful man and a terrible husband. I think that kind of comes through in this tune. Unfortunately, though, the song is really not that interesting, and it isn't one of my favorites. The ninth song on the record is Short and Curly's. Yes, it is short. It's less than three minutes long. It's the shortest song on the record. Yes, it's kind of dumb. Yes, they have never played it live to my knowledge. Yes, the song is about pubic hair or about a woman having a man by the testicles. Yes, it's just a little shuffle. But this is one of the best tracks on the album, and it's one of my favorite Stone songs. It has that simple but great lyric about, she's got your name, she's got your number, she's got you screaming like thunder. This is a Keith Richards song. It's really short, but rocking and fun, and always get a charge when I hear it. The final track on the record is Fingerprint File, and it's the best song on it. It's one of the best tracks, period, that the Rolling Stones ever did. It's Mick Jagger's masterpiece about government surveillance, the FBI watching, listening to me on your satellite, he sings. Is it funk? Is it pre-disco? I don't know, but whatever it is, it's brilliant. Mick plays that guitar riff on this, that stuttering riff, and he's magical with it. And this song, you know, it's not paranoia if it's true. The Rolling Stones really were, at this time of their lives, in tax exile, but being watched wherever they went by the authority figures who wanted to find excuses to arrest them. It has those sounds of cocaine being snorted as Mick is being worried about being watched by the FBI. It's maybe not a a, a meaning song, but it really is evocative of a world, a setting. Like a lot of old school guys, I've never really been a, a fan of 
music videos. I would rather the images that I create in my head speak for the song rather than being dictated to by the musical director or the artist or what have you. But this is one of those songs where I would love to have seen the video for it. And it absolutely is one of the high points of Mick Jagger's career in the Rolling Stones. So that's it. What then of It's Only Rock and Roll? Here's the thing. I won't deny that I like this record. But I don't think it's a top five Stones record for me either. Sticky Fingers, Let It Bleed, Exile on Main Street... Some girls, Goathead Soup, at least are ahead of it. And there's maybe and perhaps probably other records that I would put ahead of this one. And as I mentioned, critics generally agree. This is from what is called the decline of the Stones. And maybe that's even true. But what a decline. There's so many good, fun, funky songs on this record. People say it's mediocre. But it has at least three great songs. And two to three more good ones. How many records can claim that? Here's how I'll finish then. Either we are evaluating what makes a great record wrong, and maybe that's true. More likely, though, is that it's only rock and roll is a reminder that when it comes to the Stones, they have been great for so long before and after this record that if you were going to compare them to the records that mere mortals make, you have to grade them on a curve. It's like talking about the worst season that Michael Jordan had when he was with the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, I think that the only way that you can look at it's only rock and roll and not say that it's kind of outstanding is when you compare it to other Rolling Stones albums. That's it. I like it. Thanks again for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe. The only social media I have is the... uh, Twitter handle I talked about earlier at well underscore disguised. Follow me there. If all goes according to plan, there'll be another episode out in two weeks, which is getting kind of close to Halloween, right? Maybe I should do something with that. See you then.